Our scripture for tonight is John 20, 11 through 18. This is the NIV version. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body has been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. It's really good to be with you. Um, it's really good to not have to move this table very far because we haven't had this many people yet. So I'm, move, I'm usually moving this table to get a little bit closer to where you all are, but I don't have to do that. That feels really good. Um, it feels really good to see a whole bunch of faces that we haven't seen in a long time. I know some of you, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, this is your first service back with us, and it is so good to see you. Um, I got it. I got to at least shout out a couple of people who are just my favorite people, so this is not any shade to any of the rest of you, um, but to see Drew and Jen Hanley here, who are sitting outside, if we could just cheer loud enough for Drew and Jen to hear for a second. It's really good to see Robin Hansel. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and it's really good to see Israel and Jill, who I haven't seen in so long. Um, and to all of you who are joining us, and those of you who are still joining us online, thank you so much for, for being here this evening. My name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Providencia. Um, and it's a joy to share with you on Easter Sunday. Uh, some of you have been in story groups before, and some of you have been in story groups with Keith or Sarah Claire, and, and this curious, disturbing, awakening, exciting sort of series of events might have happened to you before. You've shared something that is something that was deep within you. Maybe it was a secret, or maybe it's something that was known but not really mentioned and you know you haven't really gotten to the heart of it, but you've started to explore. And that's really all we're asking of anyone who's coming to a story group. Be open, be curious, and start to explore. But if you can get to that place where you're open and curious, then that's the place where connection with someone else, where connection 
with another person's perspective, with another person's empathy, can help you get to the heart of it. Can help you get to your heart. And sometimes even someone's perspective or someone's question can penetrate through the layers that you've built up and reveal something that maybe even you knew was there, but you'd refused to look at. I've had this happen in counseling before. I've had it happen in a story group with Keith before. I've had it happen in conversations with Sarah Claire and with Jordan and with others in our community. A single question can turn all the answers upside down. And it can reveal so much about who you are and what you desire. And that's the kind of question Jesus asks Mary in the resurrection story in John's gospel. Who is it you're looking for? Who is it you're looking for? It's a question that gets to the heart of seeing. It gets to the heart of believing and understanding, the heart of expectations and desires. And today, I want to read this resurrection story and Jesus' question alongside a quote from St. Oscar Romero, great theologian and Christian martyr, who said, There are many things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. There are many things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. Now, each of the gospel accounts of the resurrection has its own twists and ironies. But Mark's account and John's account are hilarious to me. I want to tell you a little bit why. In John's account, we find that the story starts just before dawn, on the first day of the week. It's that time of the morning that's still dark, that still feels closer to night than it does to morning. It's that time like over the last few weeks when I've tried to get up and run early in the morning, but because of cursed Benjamin Franklin and daylight savings time, it's still dark in the morning. It's so hard to get up when it's still dark. And part of what strikes me as so funny in this story of the resurrection in John is that everyone is running all over the place. In John's account, it's just Mary Magdalene who walks to the tomb. And she walks, it seems, and sees the stone rolled away. But then she immediately turns and runs. She runs back to tell Peter and the other disciple If you read John's gospel, John, for some reason, doesn't want to name himself. That's just John. I don't know what John's playing at, but John's the other disciple. So Mary runs and tells Peter and John that there's no body in the tomb. And then what do Peter and John do? Well, they take off running toward the tomb, but they sort of take off racing to the tomb. Because even though John's got some humility in not wanting to name himself, he can't help but tell us that he's faster than Peter. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So the text tells us. All this running and John being the fastest just makes me laugh. Peter and John get there and then eventually both of them do go into the tomb. They see the place where Jesus had been laid. 
And John indicates that he believes something. The other disciple believed, but he doesn't quite tell us what he believes yet. And then the two of them just go back to the house where they were staying. And then we find out that Mary has followed those two back to the tomb. Mary doesn't need to compete with anyone. She's happy to just walk back. But when those two great apostles tuck their tails between their legs and sulk back home, Mary stays. Mary weeps. Mary looks and tries to see. The angels appear and ask her, Woman, why are you crying? This isn't the incisive question. This is a question that hurts. This is a question with an easy answer. She's grieving. Asking this kind of question, why are you crying, is a question that hurts. And then Jesus appears. We know it's Jesus, those of us who are reading the text, but Mary doesn't realize it's Jesus yet. And he asks her the same question. Woman, why are you crying? But Jesus immediately follows it with the more incisive question. Who is it you are looking for? Jesus' question reveals more about Mary and about her expectations and desires than it does about who he is. And this is a typical Jesus kind of question. If we go all the way back to John chapter 1, we find a story where Jesus is walking by and John the Baptist is there. And two of John the Baptist's disciples are standing there. And John sees Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God. So John's two disciples go and try to be Jesus' two disciples. But as they start to follow Jesus, Jesus turns around on them and asks this question. What is it that you want? Or we could go on to John chapter 5. Jesus comes upon a man sitting by a pool, the pool of Bethesda. It's a healing pool. It's a place where the sick would come to be washed and to be healed. But this man is crippled. He's unable to get himself into the waters when the waters are stirred. So Jesus walks up to him and asks him this question, Do you want to get well? Or John chapter 18. I don't know if y'all are ready for this. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Can I get a couple nods? John chapter 18, Judas leads a mob with torches and weapons into the Garden of Gethsemane to seize and arrest Jesus. What's the question that Jesus asks Judas? Who is it you are looking for? The same exact question he asks Mary in the garden of the tomb. See, Jesus engages with his betrayer and with his most loyal follower with this same question. Who is it you are looking for? And that question gets turned back on us then as readers of John's gospel. Because Mary hasn't recognized Jesus yet when this question is asked. It reveals something about Mary if we think about who is it she's looking for? It reveals something about us if we try to answer the question, who is it we're looking for? 
And there are all kinds of Jesuses that we find ourselves looking for. You might be looking for white Jesus, for example. The one in all our old children's Bibles. The one that's in that picture that hangs in every Sunday school room I've ever been in. A Jesus that sits atop our constructed racial hierarchies. Or maybe you're looking for macho Jesus. The one that affirms that men are strong and domineering and women are weak and defenseless. A Jesus that sits atop our constructed gender hierarchies. Or are you looking for American Jesus? The one who has traded Jerusalem for Boston, planted a new city on a hill, and wills American prosperity at any cost. A Jesus that supports our nationalistic tendencies and our syncretistic patriotism. Or are you looking for prosperity, Jesus? The one with the touch of Midas, if only we'll pray the right prayer or follow the right rules. The one that promises success without suffering and sits atop an unshakable pyramid of capitalism. Or are you looking for Republican Jesus? The one who advocates for the unborn but ridicules the immigrant and the foreigner? Or are you looking for Democrat Jesus? The one who welcomes the immigrant and foreigner but ignores the lives of the unborn? Or are you looking for a Jesus who can change the world if he just gains enough political power? Or as the case is with every one of these stereotypical examples. Are you looking for me, Jesus? A Jesus that always agrees with you and always disagrees with your opponents? A Jesus that wears your clothes and speaks your language? A Jesus that's comfortable and familiar? I can hear the angels from heaven declare to us, He is not here. Who is it you're looking for? Who's Mary looking for? Mary's looking for a dead man. Mary's in search of a dead body and an explanation for why it's missing and a way to work out her grief by performing the necessary burial rites. And I can hear the angels declare, He is not here. He is risen. The risen Jesus is not white or macho or American. He is not a prosperity preacher or a political pundit. And he is not what we want to form him into being. The risen Jesus appears as a gardener to Mary's crying eyes. She mistakes Jesus for one who might explain where Jesus' body has gone. Though her grief still partially blinds her, it also seems to have nudged her along the path to seeing the risen Jesus. Because to mistake Jesus as a gardener is not to mistake Jesus. The garden imagery should be well familiar to us if we've been reading John's gospel. Remember the passage that we visited several times in John chapter 12, where Jesus predicts his death. And he says, I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. In that same prediction of his death, 
He compares himself to a seed, which when it falls to the ground and dies, produces many more seeds. And then there's John 15, which uses the imagery of vines and branches and bearing fruit. All images from a garden and all used to help us understand what it might look like to live a life of following Jesus, of being with him and near him, of remaining in him, or as the Apostle Paul puts it later on, being in Christ. Hear John 15 verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. For Mary to mistake Jesus for the gardener is not to mistake Jesus. The risen Jesus is now to return to the Father, the true gardener, with whom he was always united. And he will leave the Spirit who will continue this work of planting, of watering, of tending, and caring, of growing and bearing fruit. The risen Jesus is a gardener Jesus. But there are many things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. Mary's crying eyes sees Jesus as a gardener. And then she sees Jesus as Jesus. Scholars debate why Mary doesn't recognize Jesus initially. Whether it's grief that's blinding her or Jesus' human form has changed in some way. Or maybe Mary just can't quite wrap her mind around reality in this moment. It's probably a little bit of all of these. But it's at least partly because she doesn't even have a category for resurrection yet. Jesus is standing before her. But as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is the first fruit of resurrection. Resurrection itself is still an impossibility for Mary. And so Jesus has to reveal himself to her as he has been doing all along to all his disciples as he will do for the ten in the upper room in the very next story in John. As he will do for doubting Thomas in the story after that. He will reveal Himself And how does Jesus reveal himself to her? He calls her by name. He calls her by name. New Testament scholar Marianne Thompson observes the beautiful connection back to John chapter 10. Where Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. The one who calls his own sheep by name and whose voice the sheep recognize because they are his own. The good shepherd calls Mary's name once more and she recognizes his voice because she belongs to him. And so here comes my old-fashioned Baptist altar call because I can't let this truth pass by without telling you that the risen Jesus has also called your name. He's called our name. And we can respond in the same way Mary does, by seeing finally Jesus as Jesus, our teacher and our Lord. 
But the way Mary responds to this reality of Jesus' presence in front of her, by calling him teacher, it maybe helps us, us who are still trying to answer this question, who is it we are looking for? Because Mary uses the title that she and others have used throughout Jesus' ministry. It's rabbi. It's teacher. And it seems almost mundane or inadequate in the face of the risen Jesus standing right in front of her. But this title reminds us that death and resurrection were always at the end of Jesus' journey. And the life he has lived all along has revealed who he is, even up to this moment of new life. So the risen Jesus is also the crucified Jesus, is also the foot-washing Jesus, and the healer Jesus, and the teacher Jesus, and the temple-cleansing Jesus, and the Emmanuel infant Jesus. But now, standing before Mary, is the full and fully resurrected embodiment of all these things. The risen Jesus is the death-defeating Jesus. And we need a death-defeating Jesus. After the long darkness of this pandemic, we need a death-defeating Jesus. After every one of our weekly mass shootings, we need a death-defeating Jesus. Jesus, on this day, on this day when we remember 53 years ago the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we need a death-defeating Jesus. After the resurgence of violence and hatred against our sisters and brothers of Asian descent, we need a death-defeating Jesus. And after our long church history that includes wars and genocide and lynching. We need a death-defeating Jesus. And when our own stories remind us of the shadowy valleys that we walk through, we need a death-defeating Jesus. After the long silence of Friday evening, all day Saturday, Saturday evening, We want the dawn of Sunday morning. We need a death-defeating Jesus. Who is it you're looking for? I can hear the angels say, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen Just as he said. And Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. So Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. And the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable. And the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Let's pray.